0: Hello, and welcome to another edition of the Who Says No podcast. The trade deadline is behind us, but there's another season upon us, and that is the buyout season. We've already seen probably the biggest names on the board go off, but there's still a couple of players out there who who might end up making a difference here. Uh, Joining me is Sam Quinn, my partner in crime, my partner in podcasts. How are you doing today, Sam? Have you gotten a little break after the trade deadline?
1: You would think so, wouldn't you? But no, the buyout season has been unusually not only busy, but newsworthy. Like, how often do you hear about coaches talking about the narrative surrounding the buyout market? Like, those Steve Nash quotes were pretty unusual. I also drove across, not across the country, but I I had a six-hour drive today. I'm a little beat, but you know what? The public demands our basketball talk, so here we are.
0: What's your, like, go-to six-hour? Are you a podcast guy, your audio books, you burn some CDs? What, What do you do?
1: I like to mix it up. It depends on the company. So I was driving with my mom today. So like we just kind of made casual conversation for hour and a half, two hours, something like that. Um, Kind of zoned out, just kind of looked out the window for a little while, stopped, got lunch, threw on a couple podcasts on the second half of the drive. And here we are. But like, you know, I'm pretty flexible about it. Sometimes it'll be music. Sometimes it'll be podcasts. If you're with the right person, like those five, six hours can really fly by.
0: Yeah, it's one of the rare times in, in, you know, modern society where you're like forced to just sit there and talk to somebody and you don't have, you know, I mean, I guess you can look at your phone still, but.
1: I was you, about you, to you, say, nothing worse than being the driver and having the person in the passenger seat on their phone. Like, you can't do that. Like, it's it's a very uneven system, right?
0: Like, yeah, it's, it's got to be some sort of etiquette. Like, you know. Right. It's like falling asleep. It's like, come on. Right. on a road trip here. Help me out. Exactly.
1: So, you know, it's. It was a pretty relaxing drive, all things considered. Um, back in Las Vegas now, ready for—I was about to say the second half of the season, but we're, we're well past that now, right? Like, yeah, I we'll kept saying right that, like too.
0: Weeks ago. I, I did an HQ hit, CBS Sports HQ shout-out the other day, and I kept saying, yeah, they're going to be really good in the second half. i like, I think we're like two-thirds of the way through the season.
1: Yeah, well, the home stretch, maybe?
0: There you go. That's a good one. Yeah. I need to come up with some more buzzwords for the, the end of the season. The dog I days— saw
1: a- I saw a fascinating debate on Twitter today. It was between, I think, Matt Moore, former CBS colleague, and I can't remember who the other person was, talking about the distinction between playoffs and postseason now that we have a play-in. Like, if you make the play-in, you've made the postseason, right, because the regular season is over. But you haven't made the playoffs yet. You have to win in the play-in. So we're going to have to stop using those terms interchangeably.
0: I'm also kind of opposed to when people call it like a play-in series because it's not really a series. It's like, it could be one game. That doesn't count or as a series.
1: Playing play-in tournament, too. I get really annoyed by it. I just call it the play-in round.
0: Yeah. Yeah, tournament is completely out of the window because that's certainly Well, especially not
1: last year when there were two teams.
0: <laughs> yeah, it's just a two-team tournament. Whoever yeah. wins the most advances, go.
1: Well, that's like one of those sad, like the super small private schools that is like too small to play in any league. So like Once a year, they bring in another team to play against them. I think that's what that means.
0: Yeah, so speaking of uh, teams that uh, seem to be unfairly put together, how's that for a segue? Terrible. Uh, Nice job. The Brooklyn Nets have now added yet uh, another big man, uh, and yet another former All-Star in LaMarcus Aldridge. I don't know uh, how you feel about it, but I know it was a little bit of a surprise. I think a lot of people thought... He was going to the Heat. That seemed to be most of uh, what the intelligence and reporting out there was. Uh, he decided to shirk them and go to the place that gives him the best chance to win a title. Um, I, I have some thoughts about Aldridge to Brooklyn, but I'm curious uh, to hear what, what your initial reaction was and, and if you've you've thought about it since and how you think he's going to kind of affect their stretch run here.
1: I just don't really care. He's just not that good, right? Like, he's a big name and we've sort of seen this with Blake Griffin where in Detroit for the last year and a half, he looked like he couldn't move. Then all of a sudden, he pulls the Willy Wonka when he gets to Brooklyn, and you know, does the whole—I don't know what did Willy Wonka do. It wasn't a flip. Oh,
0: was, see, you were so close. You were—I was about to hit you. With, like, I was going to hit you with a sick reference, bro. And you know, he comes out
1: he does from a factory,
0: and he has a cane, and everybody's like, "Oh no, he's like kind of hobbled." And then he keeps walking, and he—the cane stays behind him. And then he does a somersault and jumps in the air and everybody cheers.
1: That, yeah, I was wondering. Like, it wasn't a flip, but it, I didn't. Like, was it a somersault? Was it like a tumble? It I
0: can't a, yeah, a t- it was on the ground. And apparently the point yeah, is, Gene Wilder ad-libbed that. I love Willy Wonka, by the way. You went down oh, a path. Yeah.
1: We'll do a Willy Wonka pot at some point. I'm a huge <laughs> Willy Wonka fan. Um, yeah, that's basically what Blake Griffin has done, right? Like, And by the way, no better Willy Wonka comp in the NBA than stand-up comedian Blake Griffin. Like, just There you go. Shout out to us for the comp. Like, maybe LaMarcus Aldridge is the same. I got to tell you, like, he looked really, really bad in San Antonio. The defense was, I think, like seven points per hundred possessions worse with him in the game. I saw even today he comes out and he says, yeah, I'm really going to help this team with my switching and my defensive IQ. And I'm like, bro, have you watched you? Like, you sure about that? Like, are you not? Are you sure you're not talking about Nick Claxton? Because he helps them that way. That's the other part of this, by the way. Is he going to take minutes from Claxton? Because... It's funny. Look at Brooklyn center rotation. Blake Griffin, former all-star. DeAndre Jordan, former all-star. LaMarcus Aldridge, former all-star. Nick Claxton is not an all-star, and he's better than all of them. He's literally the only center on that team that has not made an all-star team, and yet he's the best center on the team. Like, I don't Which know. Is I, so funny. I don't really – I don't get it.
0: Because after they did the Harden deal, everybody was like, well, now they don't have any centers. It's DeAndre Jordan and, and nothing because Claxton wasn't getting a ton of playing time, and we kind of didn't know what he was. And since then, he's been on the court for a good amount of time, and everybody's like, oh, wow, he's like by far their best center. So now they go from having no centers to basically having four centers, (laughs) and two of which—so, yeah, I wanted to bring this up with you. So to me, Aldridge, first of all, let's just say, you know, you said he was bad in San Antonio, 13.7 points a game, basically a career low besides his rookie season, Uh, shooting 46% from the field, basically a career low. Uh, 36% from three, which is fine. But the biggest thing, like you mentioned, is just the stiffness. He was upright. He was not moving well. Uh, San Antonio essentially was bringing him off the bench towards the end before they decided to just sit him down until they could buy him out. So um, uh, he didn't look great in San Antonio. Uh, let's just put it that way. But I think you get him because you want, you know, somebody who, a big man who can stretch to the three point line, which obviously DeAndre Jordan and Claxton can't do. But I feel like that's something that Blake Griffin can do, and and Griffin brings a lot more to the table than Aldridge. I just can't see anything that Aldridge is going to do for you on the court. He's not a rim protector. He's not a lob threat that that Griffin can't do now that you already have him.
1: Right. Let's talk about the math here for a little bit. Like, I think we can both agree that a LaMarcus Aldridge mid-range jumper is an unmitigated win for defenses no matter how open it is. I mean, just think about it,
0: particularly with the Nets.
1: Right. But that's I I mean, especially with the Nets in San Antonio, I guess it was fine in first. But like you're looking at a core offensive group that's going to score 122 points per hundred possessions, 123. Like it is going to redefine what we think is possible on offense. Aldridge, a mid-range jumper for him, even this year, which is quietly like of all the bad things he's done on the court this season, he's shooting like 53 percent in mid-range. That's the one thing he's done well. That's 1.06 points per hundred possessions. That's worse than any offense in the NBA, right? Like anytime he takes that shot, it is a win for the defense. If he takes a wide open three, he's making 39% this season, like 117. Like that's not, that's not great for a defense, but that's probably better than like a wide open Kevin Durant dunk. That's better than James Harden getting fouled on a three. Like, I, I don't know, like, I just, I don't really get what he does for them. Blake is a slightly worse shooter. We don't know. I think he's frankly overperformed a little bit in these first few Brooklyn games. But if he shoots 36% on threes, but he also adds that playmaking dimension. Like he's a better defender, although I don't think either of them are great. Better rebounder. I don't know. Like, I just don't know why you would play Aldrich over Blake. I don't know why you play him over Claxon either. Who like their whole defense is predicated on switching he's the only one athletic enough to switch, right? Like, I mean, Aldridge is going to get hunted into extinction. Blake might as well, frankly.
0: And you haven't even mentioned the other guy, which is Jeff Green, where he's been playing a center a lot for them. And on in their closing lineup, if they want to go small, he might be the small ball center. So uh, again, you, you go from having virtually no big men to suddenly having five center options, which is great for Steve Nash, I guess, in the playoffs when you're trying to mix and match and figure out the right combination of players You're like okay i want somebody to stretch the floor let's go with aldridge i want a swishable defensive big let's go with Claxton. i want a rim runner quote unquote uh rim protector deandre jordan uh he's got options which is always great but then you have all these kind of egos and you know they're all saying the right things of course hey i'm just here to play a role i'll do whatever it takes to win but you know if aldridge goes three games in the playoffs without playing is is, is that is he going to be effective next time he gets called upon
1: well Remember, DeAndre Jordan being on the bench got a coach fired, right? Like, <laughs> this is not, like, the most genial locker room. Like, this is, this is a pretty volatile group. I'm not saying, like, I, I don't know. Like, it's sort of funny. I've been thinking about this since Blake signed. I feel like Blake coming to Brooklyn and taking DeAndre's job is sort of like your school friends meeting your camp friend and them liking him better. Like, you know, that moment where like, well, you're an athlete, so you might not have this. But like, you you know, that moment where your friends realize that your other friends are way cooler than you and you just kind of feel like the odd person out. I feel like that's what DJ's going through right now.
0: Yeah, I think that happens to everybody. And it's a little like, hey, you're laughing a little bit too hard at their jokes and not hard enough at mine. I think that might be what's going on here.
1: I think that's what's going on here. Like, there's a real chance now like we heard from Shams that DeAndre is getting phased out of the rotation a little bit like that might not go great if he and Kyrie Irving are best friends Kyrie's pretty mercurial what's he gonna think about that like I don't know like the Lakers have a similar problem and we'll get to them but like I just I'm kind of confused they they really do seem to just be saying let's bring in all of the big names we can and see what works the Jeff Green at center lineups were their best lineups I think I mean in total the plus minus hasn't been perfect, but they've played in a very small sample when they have had the three stars, Joe Harris and Jeff green on the floor together. They're plus 26.7. Like they're absolute world beaters. I would stick with that group. And then I would use Claxton as the alternative. Like if you need to go big play Nick Claxton, if you need to go small, you know, play, play Jeff green. I guess I understand the idea of keeping Deandre around because he makes sense for if we're going to build a wall against Giannis or if we're going up against Embiid. I don't know. Aldrich just seems like overkill. Like, he has to shoot so well to justify his bad defense. That dude is going to get hunted in switches. He can't do anything on the perimeter.
0: I agree. And I think, I, I think you kind of just brought up, like, the real point in all of this, which is, like, if they have those four guys, like, Kyrie, Harden, Durant, and Joe Harris, like, does it even really matter who's at center at this point?
1: Well, what I'm wondering is what is the upper limit on how good an NBA offense can be? That's what we're going to find out here. And if the answer is playing those four with Nick Claxton produces, I don't know, 120 points per under possessions, and playing that four with Aldridge or Blake gets you up to 122 or 123, is it worth it if Claxton is worth five, 10 points on defense? Like, I don't think so. I think at a certain point, you have to acknowledge the diminishing returns here.
0: I agree with you. I think that's a big thing that people kind of overlook in these trade deadline scenarios. Is like a lot of times you're looking for a player who's that big name. And when you're talking about teams that are already good, you got to think, well, if they get that big name player, he's not going to be producing the way he was in his previous situation, right? So like you have to think about how... uh, acquiring a player like that is going to, to make sense with your team. So sometimes getting a player who's a little bit, you know, not quite as productive is actually better for you because he fits right into what you're trying to do. So, um, Can we
1: talk about the the Blake quote a little bit, by the way, how he's like, Oh, everybody said I was so terrible. And now when I come to Brooklyn, it's unfair. Well, Blake, you know whose fault that is it's yours for not trying for a year and a half. Like people said you sucked because you sucked. It's not that hard to figure out. You didn't dunk for a year and a half. Like, you barely played inside the paint at all. Like, what, what do you expect people to
0: say? He also barely played. Like, well, that too. <laughs> you know, it's like it's hard to for someone to say that you're an all star, which he was in 2018, 19 when he was pretty amazing with the Pistons. But uh, it's hard for people to say that when you're not on the court and you're shooting 24 percent from three. So um, is
1: there any part of you just in general before we move on to the other actual guys? Like, how do you feel about I don't know, the buyout industrial complex as of now.
0: Do you mean just like the process of...
1: Right. Like, do you think it's a net positive or net negative for the NBA? Would you change it? The idea of basically like the contenders just get a couple of really good players for free every year.
0: I think it hasn't made a big enough difference yet to force any sort of change. Uh, I think we're... You know, now you're starting to see guys with, like, multiple years left on their contracts get bought out, which is probably... You know Kevin bit,
1: Love is coming. It's Right, not it's a little now, bit worrisome.
0: I think it's a little bit worrisome when that starts happening, because it's these guys, it's just like, look, he's not going to help our team for the rest of the year. There's no point in keeping him around. I get it, but guys with multiple years, that's a little kind of murky area. So, as of now, I guess it's fine, but if, if one of these guys ends up going to a team and really swinging, like, a, a playoff series or two, then... I think we might start to see at least some restrictions on what teams are able to do.
1: I have a couple of philosophical issues with this. Number 1, I mean, the idea of a we're going to sit a guy down until we figure this all out. That sits badly with me. B, the idea of guys like frankly like Blake who just straight up didn't try and they did that in an effort to, you know, force the force the issue and get the buyout like I don't think it's good for basketball when Blake frankly like barely jumps for the first three months of the season then he gets to the nets and all of a sudden like he's turning into a villain and he's like you know like yelling at opponents and like just you know trash talking like crazy
0: you gotta you gotta stewart ejected from a game i was very upset right. about that
1: that's not a great look right if if guys are straight up saying i don't need to try until i get onto my real team oh i'll get onto my real team at the deadline that doesn't feel great i liked the idea that bill simmons had where if you take on a guy at the deadline, or rather, if you take on a guy through a buyout after the deadline, you are responsible for their original salary from a tax standpoint. So, like, the Lakers are bringing in Andre Drummond. Drummond was making $28 million. If you have him for 40% of the season, that's, like, an extra $10 million to account for on your tax bill. Like, I would like that. I think it would keep some of these financial juggernauts in in, in check. Like, the Lakers and the Nets have so much money that they can afford to do that. But I don't like the idea. Like, when did, when was the last time a great buyout guy went to, like, Oklahoma City? I think we had that one year where, like, Wes Matthews went to Indiana. Other than that, it's like, it's pretty exclusively, oh, we're going to the Warriors. Oh, we're going to the Heat. We're going to the Lakers. We're going to the Nets. Like, I don't know. I would like to level the playing field a little bit, and I would like to punish teams for getting these guys for free.
0: We got Gorgie Jane going to the Spurs, making the big move.
1: You have to undermine you? You, don't you, Colin?
0: That do anything for you?
1: He's, he's honestly, he might be the best player that got bought out. I love honest.
0: Gorgie, man. That's another thing. He's that's shooting
1: 47% place. on threes. He actually blocked out. He's not a theoretical shot blocker. Like, he, he can actually defend the rim a little bit. Like, I don't know. Like, he's actually, like, a pretty helpful player. And the only reason Memphis bought him out is because Memphis has too many, like, C-plus players on their team. they just didn't have the minutes for him. So, I don't know. He, he actually would have been very helpful for a lot of these teams. I would have loved him in Brooklyn. Like, if you shoot 47% on Brooklyn, like, my God.
0: Yeah. Well, just just to wrap up, Aldridge, one thing it does give them is a little bit of insurance. You know, Blake Griffin doesn't have the best tra- injury track record, as we've talked about. and nah, obviously, That's right. why they got
1: him. He fell to the second round because he was injury prone.
0: And everybody on their team has suffered injuries at one point or another, except for Harden. So.
1: Well, Harden is you know, freaking Iron Man. Like that just can't get indestructible. You could drop an anvil on that guy's head. he would be fine.
0: (laughs) Uh, Moving on uh, the other big name to go, which, you know, went to a team that's very near and dear to your heart. Andre Drummond, the human double, double, uh, 2015 machine stat producer extraordinaire fantasy stud is now a member of the Los Angeles Lakers. Sam Quinn, you have some thoughts about that?
1: Can I just start with like a really weird coincidence? There is this weird Detroit to Los Angeles pipeline where look at the 2015-16 Detroit Pistons. Four of their five starters are now playing in Los Angeles. Reggie Jackson, Marcus Morris, Andre Drummond, Contavious caldwell pope The weird thing about that is that the fifth starter was Tobias Harris, and he was the only player that Detroit directly traded to L.A. Isn't that kind of weird, in Twilight Zone-y? well,
0: little strange. You also got uh, Brandon Jennings, who's from L.A.
1: Markeith Steve, Morris played Steve for the Steve Blake, who eventually Luke went to the Lakers. A Reggie lot, Bullock,
0: like, who played for the Clippers.
1: A lot of guys have made that trip from Detroit to L.A. I don't know Jody what it is. Jody Meeks.
0: Like, Jody Meeks is maybe, a
1: Lakers. Maybe these guys just, they've, they've experienced Detroit winter, and they're just like, I got to get out of here, man. Like, I don't even care about the basketball. Just... Get me to a more temperate climate. So maybe that's it. It's weird the other because
0: thing, my friend's sister moved from L.A. to Detroit and everybody looked at her like she had seven eyes growing out of the yeah, top of her Yeah, what's
1: she head. doing? Was I, that like I, a career thing?
0: We don't really know. We don't want to talk about it. Something's going on. But she has a big
1: congratulations. You ever seen the Cleveland um, tourism video on YouTube?
0: <laughs> Is it like a 30 Rock thing?
1: No. Well, we'll talk about it. It's this joke video on YouTube of a guy making a sarcastic tourism video for Cleveland. And one of the lines is, you can buy a house for the price of a VCR. Maybe that's why she moved to Detroit.
0: I'm guessing that had something to do with that it. That might
1: have had something, anyway. Um, the positives to take away from this, and I mean, we'll, we'll talk about all the negatives. This is the way that I'm rationalizing it.
0: So Starting 20- with the positives, Sam. This is a new, this is a new you. This is a post-trade deadline, optimistic, fun-loving Sam.
1: I was tired of getting ratioed for being mean, so this is going to be a new <laughs> exam. The 2015-16 Pistons, I don't know why I keep harping on them. They won 44 games and made the playoffs, with Andre Drummond as their starting center and Contavious Caldwell-Pope as their starting shooting guard. Sounds familiar, right? Well, let's replace Reggie Jackson with Dennis Schroeder, Marcus Morris with Anthony Davis, and Tobias Harris with LeBron James. Those are pretty considerable upgrades. So- solid, solid. I, I'm, I'm not going to sit here and say that if the Pistons had gotten LeBron, they would want the title. But, like, that's a good deal better if you just look at this purely from a talent standpoint. Like, Andre Drummond is a two-time All-Star, and he's 27. Like, like he, I, I think I think Zach Lowe has made this point. A few other people have made this point. He has gotten a tad underrated. Like, I, I will say, maybe there are some empty calories to that. But 20 points and 15 rebounds, that's not nothing.
0: Not so I'm trying to look it. at the
1: positives here. Having the best, they're first of all, they're going to be the best rebounding team in the NBA by like a pretty wide margin. I mean, if you look at having LeBron, Drummond, Davis, and Kuzma together, like those are four of the best rebounders for their position in the NBA. Like they're gonna, they're gonna like challenge rebounding records at least in this modern NBA that's so small. That's gonna make a big difference, especially because the Lakers aren't scoring in transition as much as they did last year. I think they're down four points, four fast break points for. Per game this season, having the best rebounder in the NBA is going to help quite a bit. Like the gap between him and Gasol in terms of rebounding is going to be pretty considerable as Andre Drummond averages more offensive rebounds per game for than Marcus all averages total rebounds. Like that's a pretty big gap. That's, That's not nothing. The rebounding is going to help. I think he's more athletic than his tape, you know, presents like ready for another wild stat. Guess how many lobs Andre Drummond has dunked in pick and roll this year?
0: Well, let's see. He has no one on Cleveland can throw a lob, so I'm right. <laughs> maybe like seven, two. Oh, wow! Two. Like, Wait, whoa, we were making it.
1: such we were making such a big hullabaloo about Blake Griffin not dunking that, like we talk about Andre Drummond as this great lob threat. He wasn't catching lobs at all this year. Now, some of that is the fact that he has small guards in Cleveland who can't throw him that ball. I think some of it is he was playing possum like like Blake was. Like I think he's going to get to LA and suddenly he's going to start jumping high again. And he's suddenly going to look a lot more spry. He says he's lost 10 to 15 pounds. I think he could be a pretty dangerous pick and roll threat for them. I mean, frankly, if you look at the role, ideally they want him to be what Dwight Howard was last year, right?
0: Right. That, I think that's, yeah, that's what we're getting down to is basically if they can convince Drummond to do what Dwight Howard did, which is be physical, catch lobs, get a ton of offensive rebounds and just like generally mess stuff up this is like a monster upgrade over that because he's younger he's more athletic he's actually very fast like running the court if you just watch him run from one end to the other he's a really fast player so i think that'll really help them in transition like you mentioned um but he hasn't done that we've never seen that from him and he's not 35 on his last shot as an nba player he's 27 looking to get a big contract next year so It's also a weird situation because he's going to, like, this Lakers as currently constructed without LeBron James and Anthony Davis. So when he first gets there, they're probably going to need him to score a little bit. And that's probably, you know, might end up being a bad thing because he might get used to playing that way when Davis and LeBron do come back. uh, And they need him to just go back to being a rim runner and whatever. But, um, I mean, I can see why they did it. Uh, I think the point that you first brought up before he even signed is, like, uh, would you rather have him playing over Marcus Would you rather have him playing over Montrez Harrell? And those are questions you're going to have to ask. If he's on your roster, he's going to expect to play, I assume.
1: Well, before we talk about who he's going to play over on the Lakers, I do think it's worth noting that there is some value in literally just taking him off of the market, right? Like, would the, would the Lakers have wanted to play against the Nets with Andre Drummond? And look, they're signing every center. They might have just signed another one. They probably would have preferred that he not play for Brooklyn. So there is some value in just having him on the team, but I, I do think you have a point. He might really get into the habit of scoring a lot and like being a focal point on that offense, which he will not be when the Lakers are healthy. The Dwight Howard comp is one that a lot of people have made. I mean, I've made it too in terms of role. Dwight Howard was like out of the league. Like That dude was humbled, And all of last year, he had like 50 post-ups. Like it was literally less than one a game. Andre Drummond, who has missed, like, he's been out since Valentine's Day. He's missed almost two months now. He has more post-ups this season than four teams, like, entire teams. He has more post-ups per game than more than half of the league. Like, this dude loves nothing more in basketball than catching the ball seven feet from the basket with his back turned to the hoop and missing shots. Like, that is his whole MO this year shooting 52% at the rim, which would be worse than literally every player in the Laker rotation. He on those post-ups. The other thing about it, when the ball goes into him, it does not come back out. He has passed out of the post on a total of 157 post possessions this year. He has passed out of the post 21 times. Like that is ludicrously low. LeBron passes out of the post literally half of the time. Anthony Davis is pretty similar. It gets demoralizing. Not only watching a guy like that use up all of those possessions, but wasting them considering how bad he is at them. Now, if they can get him to buy in the way that they did with Dwight Howard, okay, I'm on board. Because if he's not posting up, if he's literally just getting offensive rebounds, running pick and roll, like there's real value here. If they think he's going to give them like 16 points a game, 18 points a game, I would be very concerned because those are shots that suddenly aren't going to, forget about LeBron and AD, Kyle Kuzma, Dennis Schroeder, Montrez Harrell, like players who have generally been quite good for the Lakers this year. So this is really going to depend on his role. It's going to depend on, I mean, frankly, he's a free agent this offseason. He really wants to boost his value. And we see this all the time. Players have a really bad idea of what teams value. Like I think Drummond, or rather I should expand that a bit. I think there are a lot of players like Drummond, who think the way to boost my value is to post up a lot and score a lot of points. No, dude, look at the Rudy Gobert Supermax. That's not what teams want out of centers. They want their centers to roll hard, to set hard screens, to block shots, to rebound. Like you do those things and you're going to get paid from at This 27, like he has not been humbled in the way that Dwight Howard was humbled. I would be a little worried about that. Now we do have to address the lineup thing. He is going to start. That's, either been confirmed or been reported. We know he's going to start. How many minutes is he going to play? What promises was he made during the recruitment process? Because I know Lakers fans really don't like Mark Gasol. It really has to be said. And I've said this on numerous podcasts, the starting lineup with Gasol, Schroeder, Caldwell, Pope, LeBron and AD plus 13.9, 400 possession. That's just a killer lineup. They were destroying everybody. Then they got hurt. That's it. The reason they're in this situation, the reason they feel they need Drummond is because LeBron and AD got hurt. That is through no fault of Marcus Gasol, who might be out of the rotation. What about Montrez Harrell, right? Like, I mean, with LeBron and AD out, he has been one of the primary scorers. Like, he's winning them games at this point. Like, the Orlando game, he was huge. The Cleveland game, he was huge. Like, I, I would be very concerned if I were him because he's going to be a free agent this offseason as well. Anthony Davis is going to play a lot of center in the playoffs. Markeith Morris played a lot of center in the playoffs last year. You talked about Brooklyn with five centers. The Lakers have five centers, too. How do you think they're going to divide them? Because I'm kind of at a loss.
0: It's going to be weird, but I think, like, you know, we're we're not talking without LeBron and AD. Like, Drummond will play, you know, 25, 30 minutes a game. That's fine. Whatever. But when it actually counts, I mean, the Lakers have never been or, you know, I don't want to say never, but last year they weren't a team that played their centers more than, you know, 15, 20 minutes a game. And now they have a lot lot more options than they did last year uh, with JaVale and Dwight. So uh, I think Drummond has to be okay with playing, you know, 10 minutes a game sometimes, eight minutes a game sometimes, uh, maybe not even playing all, depending on the matchup. Um, but that's a tough sell. I think if I'm if I'm the Lakers, I'm I'm telling him he can kind of get the best of both worlds here, where he can come uh, without LeBron and AD, be a little bit more involved in the offense, so you show that you still have that ability. And then when they come back, you get the chance to change your game, uh, you know, adapt and, and play a style that is conducive to winning basketball and hopefully win a championship. So you you show your potential free agent suitors that you're capable of doing either. Uh, that's how i would sell it to him i don't don't know if he's going to be able to do that it's really an interesting kind of uh, philosophical look at at a basketball player right where this guy is is in you know in theory like in his prime or entering his prime or you know in the middle of his prime and he's being he's going to be asked to do something that is completely different than what he's been doing his entire career so like you said with dwight a little bit easier. He, he was on the way out. He was out of the league. This was his last chance. He had to do it He's out of desperation. Drummond doesn't necessarily need to do that. And if you have a guy like Gasol, who, first of all, can we just, is Andre Drummond like the most opposite center that you can find from Marcus Gasol? I was trying to think if <laughs> really, there's anyone yeah. that's, I mean, it's just all athleticism and, you know, I don't want to say low IQ, but that's not a strong suit compared to Marcus Gasol, who's just, iq and swinging the ball and doing the little things so
1: if they traded bodies how good would the gasol drummond hybrid be?
0: <laughs> it sounds like, like if that. they if
1: they swap bodies like would he be the best center in the nba would he be an all-star like where would he be
0: there's not enough basketball body switching comedies out there we, we got to pitch this to a studio once they start making bugsy movies.
1: bugs and sean bradley i'm a hundred percent in
0: <laughs> but yeah i don't i don't know if if he's going to be okay with, with losing minutes to Marcus Gasol and Montrezl Harrell. So uh, in the grand scheme of things, like, yes, like you said, you keep him away from Brooklyn. Uh, it, it's a big name. If it hits, it's a major boost. It's, it's you know, low cost, obviously, the, the least cost you can have. So I think it's fine the move. I just think it's going to be very interesting to see how he handles it and how the Lakers handle their rotations.
1: So speaking of guys that are playing for contracts, I kind of want to bring up Dennis Schroeder here, not because he directly impacts Drummond. I mean, they're going to be playing together, and frankly, they're going to be running pick and roll together a lot. With $100 LeBron million
0: man, Dennis Schroeder.
1: So he turns down the $84 million extension, which is the most the Lakers can pay him right now. In the offseason, they can pay him more. But like clearly, he wants to get paid a lot. The Lakers tried to trade him for Kyle Lowry, so they don't seem too enthused about that idea. Something I'm wondering about is do you replace Gasol's shooting in the starting lineup by maybe putting Wes Matthews in for Dennis Schroeder? I don't think they're going to start that way. Like I think for now, Dennis Schroeder is the starter and I think they're not going to change the lineup until they're forced to. But like if they play game one in the first round against, I don't know, let's say Denver and they lose 131 to like 118, do they maybe start to think about that? Because Last year's starting lineup was pretty cramped, and that had Danny Green as the fifth guy. Dennis Schroeder is not the shooter, or Dennis Schroeder, rather, is not the shooter Dennis that Schreuder. Danny Green is. I should just say Schroeder. I should really just pronounce it incorrectly and just
0: Schroeder. Like the little oomblout, you're really getting that that pronunciation. Right?
1: I never write it and I always think that I should. But anyway, he is not the shooter that Danny Green is. If you start Schroeder, Drummond, KCP, who like on some nights, is Clay Thompson. On some nights, is I don't know, some other inferior Thompson that doesn't play basketball. You know, like, he is just totally inconsistent. And then, of course, LeBron and AD. And AD quietly shooting 29% on threes this year. That is not a lot of space. I would really recommend that they force another shooter in somehow. Like, I, I don't know. I think there's a scenario where Dennis Schroeder is not starting for the Lakers when it's all said and done. And considering his contractual demands, which are reportedly through the roof. I don't know how happy he'll be about that. Like Frank Vogel has his work cut out for him. This is a really, really confusing rotation situation. Like right now they have 12 guys who all like frankly deserve to play or like at least think they deserve to play. If they had the same amount of talent consolidated to nine guys, like, I don't know, they would have had with the Kyle Lowry trade, you know, this would be a lot easier, but they don't, they chose to stand still. And, that's what they went with. I disagreed with it. I made that very clear, but here they are. They they have three centers. I don't know why they felt like they needed three centers, but they have them and they're moving forward. So this is going to be confusing. I think the rotation is going to need to be messed with a little bit, but the upside is high. I, I guess I can't fault a team for adding a 27-year-old two-time all-star for the minimum. Like I, I see how this could be a negative, but I will always understand the shot. Especially since, like, if we're being honest, the Lakers don't really have the same, like, they're not necessarily the favorites anymore. Like, or at least I personally have them in Brooklyn pretty close to even. Other people seem to think that Brooklyn is, like, unstoppable. You kind of have to take gambles if you're the Lakers, if you're going to either catch them or pass them or whatever. So, all in all, I I am scared of this. I do think there are a lot of negatives it introduces. But I get why they did it. It makes sense.
0: I think you came up with a, a new podcast idea you you inadvertently said it it's called the rotation situation i think that could be a nice like oh, 15 minute, good. yeah nice 15 minute daily talking about who's in who's out what they need to change whether we should stagger um, some guys
1: you're a dfs guy wouldn't this be really useful for you in picking, the
0: rotation like, situation
1: well like i don't know like you don't watch every orlando magic game i don't either like there is a certain point where like there is only so much basketball we can watch if you're playing dfs every day or if you're gambling every day wouldn't it be really useful to know who's playing and who's not?
0: There's only so many times I can refresh Roto World every single night. I mean, it, it gets a little tedious and my finger starts to hurt. So I, I would appreciate something like that.
1: Yeah, I, I think you might have stumbled onto something. I think, you know, we, we, we could run with this. That could yeah. be our secondary show.
0: That'll be, yeah. After this one fails miserably, we'll just segue right, right into that one. But yeah, well, your point. I
1: think we're really getting good at these puns, man. I, I think that's really becoming a strength of this show
0: gotta be good at something right everybody has their strengths but yeah you're talking about Schroeder. yeah it was really confusing to me that they started him in the first place i get that it sounds like he felt that that was a necessary part of signing with them was that he was going to start but i mean well like they traded was,
1: for him but it seems like you know you, really know, pushed to have you, to you know what i mean
0: but um the uh lebron had so much success as like the the actual point guard last year as opposed to just being like the de facto point guard like he always is um, so I could definitely see them making that move in the playoffs. And then the Drummond thing is, is going to be strange and, uh, you know, probably a, a matchup thing, whether they start him or whether they bring him off the bench or, like I said, whether they play him at all. So it's going to be weird. Um, but I think the Lakers, especially after the trade deadline inactivity, probably needed to do something just to show that, like, hey, we're you know kind of in this arms race with the Nets. And, you know, Drummond's the trade pretty-
1: deadline was a week ago. Do you think they regret not making a Lowry trade? Like, do you think if the deadline was a day or two later, they would have pulled the trigger?
0: Probably not, because, I mean, it sounds like they could have gotten them if they just threw THT, Taylor Horton Tucker, into it, right? I mean, isn't that what most of the reporting is saying?
1: Yeah, that is what the reporting is saying. And maybe the Raptors would have broken if they had had a little more time. But, like, man, like, I, I just, I don't get how they think that having these three centers is a good idea. That's all. Like, I'm not saying it can't work. I'm just saying it's not a good idea. It's like, it's a very volatile situation for a team that already had volatility with the Schroeder contract that had two major injuries. Like having Kyle Lowry would make a lot of this easier.
0: Yeah. it's. I mean, I guess like you mentioned it earlier, I think they might just try trying to replicate what they had last year with Dwight and JaVale, just like that option, which is something that they didn't have with, with Gasol and Harrell. So just well, adding that, well, that as an element.
1: If that's the goal, I want to point out a few things. Brooklyn is so far ahead of anybody they played last year. Like, I'm sorry. I, I know Lakers fans don't want to hear this. It was a pretty easy path. And, like, that's not their fault. Like, you beat who's in front of you. They beat everyone who was in front of them pretty badly. But Brooklyn is better than anybody that they played. And a lot of what happened in the playoffs last year relied on some really unsustainable shooting. Markeith Morris shot 42% on threes. That's not going to happen again. Rajan Rondo shot 40% on threes. That's not going to happen again. I mean, the, the equivalent would be Schroeder. I don't think Schroeder's going to shoot 40% on threes in the playoffs. Anthony Davis shot like Kevin Durant. He shot like 58, 40, 90, like something like that. That's not going to sustain. The Lakers are going to have to find offense in other ways. I don't know how they're going to do it right now.
0: That's, I mean, that was the question last year, right? It was their half court offense, and like you mentioned, they just got some huge performances. And you know, eventually at the end of the day, you look at it and you say, if LeBron and AD are healthy, you know, we're going to be the, fa- if not the favorite, at least right there with Brooklyn. The West but, favorite, let's say. Right. Um, well, look out for the Nuggets, man. We'll talk about them at another point. But um, you all, you all said on Drummond. I think we. Uh, I think I've said
1: much. my piece, and between the millions of tweets and the.
0: 20 or the 2000 were column. I think I'm good. Yeah. So uh, more buyout market stuff. Just not much going on right now. Um, I guess we can talk about the Bucks. They are signing Jeff Teague and Austin Rivers. I guess to kind of fill that DJ Augustine uh, role, um, if that's something that needed filling. Um, Austin Rivers is, you know, he, he's a rational confidence guy, and he fell out of the rotation in New York, which is probably not a good sign. Frank the well, above you, but
1: I mean he fit in a switching defense in Houston, right? Like he was a you know pretty big part of that rotation. Played with PJ Tucker there. I don't know, I think he could give them 10 decent minutes. I am fascinated to see the Rivers versus Teague battle for minutes because Austin Rivers is a better player. I think we agree on that. But Jeff Teague is a former Mike Budenholzer player in Atlanta and god do coaches love playing players that they had in other cities. Like there's nothing a coach loves more even if the player is bad, than giving undeserved minutes to somebody that they had five years earlier.
0: He's familiar with the system. He says as he inhales his stogie.
1: What is the Bucks system? It's stand outside and shoot. That's all you have to do. He figured it out. It's not that hard.
0: Well, Jeff Teague was, was like unplayable for the Celtics this year, but he did have like two of his best games right before he got traded. So you know well, he's got some, he did, some positive well, momentum.
1: It's like Aldridge with the mid-range shots. Aldridge was terrible at everything else. Jeff Teague was terrible at everything, but he shot like 46% on threes. It was like one and a half attempts per game, so it didn't mean anything. But like, I feel like the Bucks for front office probably saw that and said like, okay, maybe he's turning a corner. Like, maybe he'll shoot this ball for us. Really, that's not something they should be relying on. Like, Austin Rivers is not a great shooter. I think he's a better shooter than the numbers indicate. Like, he's somebody in a big game who will go like two, two for five for you. Like, if you leave him wide open. And you're just saying your job is to take these wide open shots and play defense. Like you can get 12 minutes out of him. And by the way, the, the floor on this was so low because my God, DJ Augustine was like one of the worst (laughs) players in the NBA. Any chance
0: for Sam to harp on DJ Augustine's poor performance. He was,
1: he he was, he was terrible. And like one of the best parts of the PJ Tucker trade was getting off his next season. So like, Austin Rivers can't possibly be worse than, than Augustine was, right?
0: Austin Rivers shoots the ball like he's a 55% three-point shooter. I've never seen someone stroke with more confidence with, with as poor results.
1: Oh, that's a good plus. question. I'm trying to think of who the other guys like that are. Um, JaVale this year, who is acting like that he, he's basically <laughs> acting like a Curry. Like that dude's stroke. just pulling up from anything.
0: Those are the that, best guys. Like list. in the pickup games, the guys who are just like they just think everything's going in. See, yeah, Marcus Smart used to be one of those guys, but then he started making something. He's still he's still pretty bad.
1: Well, no, he's he's gotten from like league average as a shooter. I don't know where he is this year, but like, like on balance, like a couple, yeah, he's he's gotten better. Um, that's that's a fun list. We got to do that at some point. Um.
0: But yeah, to your point, like sometimes that matters. Like in 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 playoff games, like you said, if they're gonna leave him open. He's gonna shoot it with confidence. It might not go in, but even that just having a guy who's willing to take those shots and and shoot them that way is is probably a good thing for a team that probably doesn't need those guys playing a lot of minutes, right? Like even if Rivers beats out Teague or whatever, he's still not gonna be playing that much come playoff time, right?
1: Yeah, you're you're looking at like a ten to twelve minute roll here. Like the core six for the Bucks are Drew, Giannis, Middleton, DiVincenzo, Lopez. And then P.J. Tucker, Bobby Portis is going to play because Bobby Portis.
0: Is <laughs> I was going to say, he left out Bobby like P., man.
1: Well, he, he's been very good this season. He deserves minutes. Now, he, Lopez, and Tucker, like, it's a little not great of a fit because, you know, they're all presumably playoff centers. But and then you have the, the one guard spot, which I'm going to guess is going to go to Austin Rivers. When they get to the Brooklyn series, like, that's it. You Don't get to mess around with Bryn Forbes minutes anymore. You do not. Get to mess around with the Santana Antetokounmpo minutes anymore. I know you? you're going to make the twenty-three, ten, and five joke now. How no, you? no, one great game does not earn you playoff minutes. Like you got to really trim that rotation because their bench is awful.
0: Do we mention Pat Connaughton? I don't know if you brought him up.
1: Oh, Pat Connaughton, she get some minutes. Yeah, like he's like the seventh or eighth man. He's nothing special, but he can play for them.
0: Yeah, athletic, sneaky athletic.
1: Okay, we he is <laughs> one of the all timers on that front. I know you're being sarcastic, but I think there are listeners out there who don't know this story because they've never listened to an ESPN broadcast. Did you know he also played football and baseball? Three-sport athlete.
0: 94-mile-an-hour fastball.
1: Ugh.
0: Stud. Anyway. Yeah, that's enough. I mean, the Bucks. Bucs, th- this is like, I guess. Talk, quick, like, question. Yeah, go
1: ahead. How long can somebody be a sneaky athlete? Because Alex Caruso is not a sneaky athlete anymore. He's just right. an athlete.
0: Once you start yamming on people on the regular, I think you kind of lose the sneaky moniker.
1: So what's funny, I talked to Jared Dudley about this last year, and I asked him about like what was your reaction like the first time you saw Caruso dunk. And apparently Caruso doesn't dunk in practice. So like the first time any of his teammates had seen him dunk was in a game. <laughs> Can you imagine that reaction?
0: <laughs> like, He's...
1: like doing his perfect form layups in and practice, and then he comes out in a game and he starts doing what he does.
0: You know who that is? That's uh, uh, Michael Mulder on the Warriors. You know, he, he's a shooter and just like runs around, does his like best Steph impersonation when he gets playing time. And then he like drove to the hole one night and just like raised up and threw down this dunk. And then the announcers were like, well, you didn't know he had a 40 inch vertical. Like, wait, what?
1: <laughs> I, I've quite, we got to have a conversation at some point about all of those. Like, I feel like there are nine guys on the Warriors bench that were on a two way at some point. Like Mannion obviously was Toscano Anderson Molder. I don't know where Kai Bowman is, but like I feel like he's there in spirit. Smile somewhere.
0: Pick, he's somewhere picking up 94 feet. I can tell you that is much.
1: Smile is gonna be a buyout guy. He's gonna. I mean, he's not gonna finish the season on that roster.
0: <laughs> Could you? Is that is that a thing? Can you buy out a two way player?
1: <laughs> I would be very curious to know. his like
0: first team. time ever. I,
1: I, I don't think that his playing future is going to be in yeah. Golden State.
0: The uh, <laughs> the intel and in reporting is that uh, he may have played his last games in Golden State. Yeah. So, uh, speaking of players who don't have much impact, just going through the rest of the buyout list, uh, any names jump out to you as as possible guys who could make should, any sort of impact?
1: We should talk about Adam Porter, right? Like here, here's another one that like he can't move, or at least he has looked like he can't move. But we said the same thing about Nick Batum last year, and now Nick Batum is a decent starter again. Ottawa Porter is something close to a 40% three-point shooter for his career. If he regained his mobility on, like, the Lakers or, you know, pick good team X, I think he could make a difference in a playoff series.
0: I agree. I think he... You know, we were kind of talking about this off air. I don't think he's a guy who's going to be like, okay, that puts us over the top. But certainly, like, if he gets in the right situation, like like you said, he's going to make shots. He's a veteran. He knows how to play basketball. Uh, the real question is how long can he be on the court and can he be effective in, you know, what would be limited minutes for a contender? Um, are, do the, are the Magic going to buy him out? Is that a thing?
1: It doesn't look like it. I would just say in general, like, the deadline to be on a playoff roster is quickly approaching. The deadline, I believe, is April 9th. So, like, you, you kind of, if you're going to get a buyout, you kind of really get on that.
0: Yeah, so okay, I would about suspect
1: a week that most of the players that haven't gotten bought out yet probably aren't going to. Another name I wanted to mention on that front was Avery Bradley, who was terrible in Miami. I'm not going to sugarcoat it. But was really good for the Lakers last year. And, like, if you need a guard stopper and somebody who can shoot 36 37% from three, like a round average, maybe a little better, I think he's worth a flyer. Like I would love to bring him back to the Lakers, but he hasn't gotten a buyout yet, so who knows?
0: Remember when Avery Bradley not going to the bubble was like a huge deal?
1: I wrote, I think honestly, a 2,500 word story on that. Like I think I I broke down so much film for that, and then it just turned out like, oh yeah, one of these teams has LeBron and AD. Like what are we doing?
0: (laughs) Just nitpicking over Avery Bradley. Well, that kind of gets to the. Was really
1: good for them though. Like I I'll say that like especially by the end. He, I think in his last, like, I don't know, 10, 12, 15 games, he had basically turned all of his mid-range jumpers into threes and was shooting, like, close to 40%. He was really, really good for them. And then, of course, he didn't play, and then he got hurt this year and just hasn't played well in Miami.
0: Yeah, I mean, it kind of gets to your point, like, you know, Drummond, Aldridge, like, ultimately it doesn't matter. if the, If their stars are healthy, that's what it's going to come down to. And having these extra pieces, I mean, it's nice, you know, you always want the optionality but really even guys like big names like aldridge and drummond probably aren't going to have that big of an impact
1: okay here's the counterpoint the goal isn't to get somebody who is going to like transform your entire team at this point in the season that just doesn't happen but like pj brown won a game seven for the celtics in 2008 like you can get a guy that can swing one or two games and that means quite a bit if they're late in the series or if they're in the finals like the Lakers might not have won it all without Markeith Morris. I know that that sounds ridiculous. Markeith Morris shooting 40% was a really big deal in the Houston series. because like, He had two or three games where he just didn't miss. And that made a huge difference. Like You're not getting stars at this point in the season. You're getting guys that will swing one or two big games. And like that counts.
0: I will be awaiting your text when Andre Drummond hits a game-winning three-pointer in the second round of the playoffs. And you're like, see, I told you,
1: you made a difference. Have you read my tweets? I am not happy about that signing.
0: I'm saying, you're just going to roll right into it when he actually does something good.
1: There is sort of like a cycle when it comes to Lakers moves. Before that, the guy actually plays. They are just the messiah to those fans. Like, you cannot say anything negative. They just, they love that player to death. He'll play the first five, ten games and we'll start to hear like, you know, oh, if we change his role in this way, like, you know, maybe if he's playing with this guy differently or, you know, like they're. They're cracks, essentially. Phase three, we hate this guy. We want to bench. We want to trade him. This was where Rondo was. This is where KCP was. Phase four, he dominates in the playoffs, and it's like, oh, this guy's essential to the core. Like, we can never get rid of him. He is the Messiah again.
0: And also the opposing fans saying it's not fair that they got this guy.
1: Are we going to have that conversation with Rondo if he turns back into playoff Rondo? (laughs) Like, are there going to be bitter fans on other teams who are like... Why couldn't we have traded for Rondo? We Again, only lost that two second round picks.
0: Rondo was available. We didn't get him. What are we doing?
1: You know, like NBA Twitter, I think, is a little too intellectual for that. NBA Facebook, you know people are asking that question.
0: I don't ever look at Facebook comments and my life is better for it. Listen, but,
1: yeah, I, I would not recommend it.
0: I don't understand. if uh, Maybe they're bots. If these are real human beings, that uh, you know, we have much larger problems in society.
1: I think... Based on the lengths of some of these comments, like, I, I think a good chunk of them are real. It's, it's not a pleasant place. Like, if you think NBA Twitter is bad, you should really check out NBA Facebook. It is something else.
0: It's sad. It's sad. Any other uh, buyout notes before we leave?
1: I'm curious about one other Drummond thing for the Lakers that I, just, that I just thought of. Do you think they're going to try to play Gasol and Harrell together at all?
0: No. I mean, maybe, but I don't
1: I think they're going to try it. It's- a weird idea like it's not even that I don't think it could work because Harrell size wise is a power forward right he's six eight he obviously is a very different offensive player than Gasol. Gasol could space the floor for him. The issue is if you do that you have to do that during LeBron minutes and not A D minutes because obviously like you do it with A D then suddenly Harold's playing the three which right I'm just gonna say that's not gonna work. But if well, you're doing it during if you're doing it during LeBron bench minutes Then all of a sudden, you don't get the LeBron, Drummond, spread, pick and roll groups, which I think they should really rely on. So I I don't know. Like, I'm really at a loss over how they're going to manage that rotation. I think with LeBron and AD out, they're going to get experimental. Like, maybe Harold Gasol works. I doubt it, but I think they're going to try it. So we'll see. But I am very confused about this rotation.
0: Yeah. Just my preliminary research while you were talking. It doesn't look like they've played together at all. They haven't played one minute.
1: Yeah. Yeah. But they haven't had to because they've been the only centers on the team.
0: It's a good point. Let's get crazy. Let's get wild. I mean, if there's any time, ever a time to do it, it's when LeBron and AD are out. Let's just try some weird stuff.
1: The Lakers, I think like nine of their next 13 games are against contenders. And by the way, it's just a murderous row of like teams that have recently lost to the Lakers and are going to enjoy beating up on that uniform. Like, you can't tell me that the Clippers aren't excited to just roll the Lakers by 30. You can't tell me the Nets aren't excited to beat them by 50. Like, This is not going to be – this is going to be something of a revenge tour.
0: I'm also like – it just like blows my mind. Like how bad would the Lakers want 2018-19 Kyle Kuzma right now? Like just no conscience, like firing up shots like whenever he wants. Like they've spent all this time training him to be like an actual good basketball player. And now they just need him to go be his old self and just shoot every shot.
1: I mean, I, I think he still has a little bit of that in him. I mean, Schroeder is the guy who I think really has to run the offense for them now. But, yeah, you're right. I, I mean, I think they would not mind one bit if Kuzma wanted to take 25 shots a game.
0: Yeah. Well, he might. So, we'll see how the Lakers do. Um, they obviously got a piece that is going to have some impact on the playoffs, positive or negative, and And uh, we'll have to see. Same with Aldridge in Brooklyn. So, Sam, thanks for joining me to break down this buyout stuff. There might be a, you know, a signing or two, but it seems like those pretty much the big guys are off the board.
1: I, I, I would say at this point, if you haven't found your big buyout guy, you're not going to get one.
0: All right. Well, on that note, uh, we will see you soon. I appreciate you listening. Go rate and subscribe. Do all that stuff and then iTunes and Google Podcasts and Spotify and all that stuff. Sam, thanks for joining me. We'll do it again soon.
1: Pleasure as always.